Welcome back to another episode of Brain Buzz Podcast with your hosts, Drake and Kyle. And today we are going to be talking to Sarah Colalilo uh, from the University of British Columbia. She does, she specifically does work in parenting and we're going to be talking about different aspects of parenting that people probably haven't thought about before this episode. Uh, so thanks for coming, Sarah. We're really excited to have you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> Was very kind of you <laughs> sarah why don't you tell us just like give us a really brief uh who you are where you're from uh and what year of your studies you're in so as drake mentioned i am from the ubc parenting lab and that is headed by dr charlotte johnston and i really work to understand parents so my research focuses on um different things that relate to parenting or that influence parenting behavior that's awesome. Fantastic. And we're starting every episode now. This is a new format. Just so everybody, it's the new format. Everybody's back excited to the new about format. It. Back to the new format. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about our learning objectives or what the plan is or what we're going to try and talk about today. Uh, and and you guys can take away from this episode. So we're going to learn the ABCs or try to learn the ABCs of parenting. <laughs> it's a great term. It's really simple. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so simple. So simple. It's going to be the What's easiest podcast. I, we're, we're joking, obviously. There's a lot of really in-depth information that we're going to be going over today. Um, but it's, it's really, it's intuitive after you get over all of the really complex ways of measuring it. <laughs> um, but the ABCs are essentially affect, behavior, and cognition. So... The way that a parent behaves or how a child behaves can impact the way the parent responds to them and their emotions impact their interactions. There's, there's a ton there. So, yeah. so we're going to get into it. <laughs> we're already struggling. We've only just started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but Sarah's, uh, Sarah's going to make this a lot easier for us. We're gonna, she's going to simplify parenting. She might actually pass something down generationally from like a upper year PhD student down to yeah master student so there's like generational past wonderful matter. analogy Kyle <laughs> <laughs> we, tried. we tried. came up with that like a minute ago <laughs> <laughs> so Sarah let's just jump into it okay what do you want to teach us and our listeners today so I am hoping that by the end of this episode you will understand that parents are just people and parenting is just one of the things that they do and it can be influenced by a lot of other factors but I'm hoping to sort of build empathy for parents and help us understand them better because I think that oftentimes parents get a lot of flack for the way that their children are behaving or a number of different things but I really want to understand, well, where do these parenting behaviors come from? Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So, Sarah, what are some terms that we need to really understand in order to uh, be on the same page going forward uh, for the rest of today's talk? Yes. Well, Drake mentioned that we're going to be learning about the ABCs. Mm -hmm. So what the ABCs are, are affect, behavior, and cognition. So when I'm saying affect, I'm talking about how parents are feeling at any given time. Okay, we're talking about emotions. When we say behavior, we're talking about what are parents doing. And when we say cognition, we're thinking about what do parents think? What do parents believe? Mm -hmm. So those are three of the main concepts that are going to be at play here mm -hmm. 
we're going to be talking about different aspects of parenting. So when I say overreactive parenting, I'm talking about parenting that is harsh, maybe overly punitive, um, stuff like that. It involves yelling. Um, when I'm talking about positive parenting, I'm talking about warmth in a relationship. I'm talking about... Um, praise for good behavior, um, basically positive reinforcement for, mm -hmm. for good behavior. Um, I'm talking about when I talk about attributions, when we talk about attributions, <laughs> um, what attributions are, they fall under that umbrella term of cognitions. So attributions are the way that parents explain behaviors in their kid. So when we talk about attributions for misbehavior we're thinking about okay how does a parent think about the causes of their child's misbehavior and that can be along a number of dimensions so when we think about um, stability how stable is this behavior over time we think about um, intent did the child intend to do this behavior or not? Mm -hmm. We think about controllability. Do I believe that this behavior is within my child's control or mm -hmm. not? Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. I mean, the, as we go, we're going to try and simplify as much as possible. At, with all research, things can get really jargony and filled with words that we have no clue what's going on. <laughs> they, throw things at, they throw things at you that you pretend to know until you go and Google them afterwards. So we're going to try and limit the Googling that's required for this episode, and we're going to define everything as we go. And that's what we aim to do every episode. So, I mean, let's kind of get into what is known already in the area of parenting or the research done on parenting mm -hmm. what does the field know when it comes to these kind of topics that we're talking about what are what are what are the underlying models that are set up in your work okay so the first thing i want to say that is that the uh, literature on parenting is incredibly broad mm -hmm. and in this episode we're not going to get to talk about <laughs> all of the things that are related to parenting of course but probably one for of, a good reason <laughs> yeah um one of the things that um i focus on and my lab focuses on is um attribution so i i said earlier that this is how parents explain behaviors in their kid in their kids mm -hmm. so um, we know that, or the way that parents think about their kids are, is related to how they're going to behave towards them. Um, and this is from, you know, a, a handful of studies that have actually shown that when parents, when children are misbehaving, so, um, you know, maybe they're being defiant. You, you mm -hmm. ask them to do something and they don't do it, or uh, you call them to the table and they sit for dinner and they say no. Mm -hmm. um, when parents think about these kinds of behaviors in a way that suggests that the behavior is intentional, is um, controllable by the child, that then predicts more negative responses in response to that kind of behavior right so so uh kyle and i and sarah <laughs> we are not parents so <laughs> i'm only drawing off of my experience as a child here yeah. but when you talk about attributions i think of uh i was 
really my family and my brothers and my sister we were all really addicted to video games back in the day so an example of an the way that i'm trying to reason with attribution here is that uh my mom would call us for supper we're playing video games and she'd call us four times she could attribute that as us doing that on purpose or just not doing it on purpose just being addicted to the video game like there's different ways of attributing our behavior and the way that she attributes that can really impact the way that she interacts with us that's exactly right is that right yeah so some moms might think they're doing this on purpose or they're doing this to annoy me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Those are the kind of attributions that are usually not helpful. Or at least that's what we're seeing um, in terms of the research on parenting. Yeah, I mean, just me thinking about it now, I have no clue why. (laughs) I may not have heard her the first two or three times because my brain can only focus on one thing. Uh, But it's completely on my mother and my father to figure out how to decide or to determine or to attribute, I guess, with mm-hmm. the terminology that you're using, uh, that behavior. Yeah. Uh, so that's completely on them. And that can, as you say, can impact their interactions with us as, as the children. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you said that because a lot of times the reasons for misbehavior may be ambiguous or mm. not clear. Mm. And a parent might make an attribution that may not necessarily be the truth or reflect reality. Maybe your mom thinks you're doing this to annoy her or you're intentionally ignoring her, but like you said, maybe you just didn't hear her. Right, like Kyle spilt the apple juice uh, because he has really bad hands and eye skills. <laughs> Kyle Not always he's a shithead. Always. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so his mother uh-huh. could treat that two different ways. She'd be like, oh, well, Kyle has really bad hand eye. <laughs> yeah. Or uh-huh. he's just an absolute shithead. So <laughs> there's two ways of attributing it. <laughs> She's and- seen me play baseball and hockey. <laughs> she knows both are true. <laughs> Straight hand eye and also a shithead. <laughs> no, but she might also think, oh, Kyle always spills things. Mm-hmm. Kyle's never going to change. So that's an attribution of stability right right he always does this this is something that recurs over and over again oh yeah that's a, that's a it, great example my brother my younger brother always loses his keys he lost his wallet probably for the seventh time last week and it just <laughs> it's known that my brother loses things so that's an attribution that has been made by my mother mm-hmm. uh, and we and now we as siblings do the same thing we attribute it as oh my brother's he always loses his keys mm-hmm. uh it's an interesting way of looking at it. It's a new way I haven't thought of. Mm. Okay, cool. So those attributions, how can they impact parenting or how do they impact that relationship with the parent and the child then? Well, I think I think it really makes sense the way that they influence parenting behavior. So if I, let's think about, let's use the example that you gave us. So if you are a kid who's playing video games and your mom calls you to the table, but you're so um, immersed in what's going on, um, you just don't hear her. But she's thinking, oh, you know what? He is intentionally being defiant. That, if, if you put yourself in the mother's shoes, that's going to be very, very frustrating. And if this is something that has happened consistently over time, so it's a stable behavior, that's even more frustrating. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's having an impact on you as the parent because you're like, well, I want to have dinner, but my kid is not listening. Um, So it makes you really upset and frustrated. And maybe you react in a way that is not helpful. Maybe you... um, yell at your child you repeat um 
that you want them to come to the table in a in a frustrated tone, in a tone that sounds overly critical. Because keep in mind, you as a kid playing the video game don't think you did anything wrong because you never right. heard your mom in the first place. So all of a sudden, your mom's yelling at you and you're like, what? I don't understand. Um, so that might make you upset because then you're like, why is she yelling? This is so annoying. I can also see uh, how that would be really challenging uh, for a for a child who's trying to do something good too, mm. right? Like, well, why haven't you come for dinner? Well, I'm sitting upstairs finishing my math homework. It's mm. like, well, I didn't know that. Now I feel like an ass. Like, you know, so I can see how... I can see how the the attribution can be a really big issue, and and uh, you know it could be like a communication thing, where right where you you really need to be clear on why you're communicating in the particular tone that you that you're choosing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that kind of leads into our next point, I think. And the attributions can really impact emotion, like like Kyle mentioned. The emotions can kind of play into that, right? The way you attribute your, your child's reactions or your child's behavior can impact how you, as a parent, uh, how your emotions impact th- those attributions both ways, right? Mm-hmm. So you might get mad or angry because you're you are attributing your child as being uh, defiant, mm-hmm. but that might not be the case, and so those emotions couldn't play into it. So how how does that or how does research address that, mm-hmm. or how have you done that in your research address yes. that? Yes. So again, back to that basic ABC model: how we're thinking influences how we behave, influences how we feel. All of these things mutually impact each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, you were you were talking about how a parent could get really frustrated if they make an attribution that, like, if they attribute their child's behavior to something intentional. Yes, that makes them feel frustrated. And there's lots of different research to show that when parents are angry. Um, or when parents make these sorts of attributions, it's usually in a heightened negative emotional state. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, typically don't have the most helpful parenting response. Right. Let's put it that way. But also, um, how we're feeling in a given moment can impact the way that we're interpreting different kinds of behaviors that we're seeing. So this was really the focus of my master's thesis, where I looked at how does emotion, so we've been talking about it in the sense of attributions will make you feel frustrated. So Mm -hmm. we're going from cognition to emotion, but how does emotion impact cognition? So we can actually look at it the other way around. I think the way that you put it actually makes a lot more sense. I think of my mother coming back from working a really long day at work, being annoyed at her work situation. She has a really shitty coworker. She comes back, she's annoyed, uh, and she has to deal with four kids. Yeah. And these four kids, instead of coming to supper on the first call, are now <laughs> being little shits. <laughs> are now playing like Super Mario Bros. upstairs, and they won't come until the fourth call. Her emotions already being maybe heightened due to work circumstances or other life circumstances could be relationship circumstances too, right? Between spouse, whatever. Um, those will impact how she reacts to or attributes us not coming to supper, like the mm-hmm. very, in a very basic level, right? Mm-hmm. These are the very, very simple, simplistic way of looking at it. But I think that makes sense in the sense that parents are still human beings. Parents they, are people. <laughs> we can't just treat them as like this, these almighty individuals. Exactly. It's, they are, 
everybody else in the world can be a parent <laughs> by circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's how mm-hmm. they react as a parent that's mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you can relate to that. It relates to really all relationships. Imagine coming home at the end of a long and stressful day. You might be overly sensitive to things that are actually kind of minor, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, uh, dishes are piling up and you're like, well, are they doing that to piss me off? Or are they just lazy? Like wh- how you attribute like that mm-hmm. could be, it could be <laughs> catastrophic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, I kind of had a study that directly addressed that relationship where I induced or I elicited, I, I basically made mothers feel certain emotions that I wanted them to be feeling. And then I had them uh, rate a bunch of child behaviors. So these were misbehaviors and some of them were clear misbehaviors like, you know, your child talks back at you and calls you a bad name. And some of them were ambiguous misbehaviors where you're like, mm, maybe it's like, maybe this can be explained in different ways. So this is the example of Kyle dropping uh, a glass on his way to his, on the way to his table, right? Maybe that's Kyle being reckless. Maybe that's Kyle tripping on something and accidentally mm-hmm. dropping the glass of water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I said apple juice. It's a little stickier, stickier, bigger problem. I'm always forgetting things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, More of a conundrum. (laughs) Yeah, so what I was find, what I found actually is that when moms are in an angry state, so when they're feeling anger and frustration, they're actually more likely to view those uh, fringe examples of misbehavior, if you want to call it that, or those ambiguous examples of misbehavior as better examples of misbehavior if if you know what i mean like they were more their threshold for judging that as a misbehavior was lower compared to if they're in a neutral state so they're they more easily say yes that's kyle is misbehaving (laughs) than maybe someone who is uh, in a calm state how did you elicit emotion in your in your participants so you had parents coming in and you had to elicit emotion in a laboratory setting, right? Exactly, yeah. So how did you go about it? What did you do? Okay. Well, there's a number of ways that you can do this. So different researchers have done this different ways. The way I chose to do it based on you know studies that show that it, this has been a successful method in the past is to actually have moms uh, watch video clips that have been shown to reliably generate these kinds of feelings Mm -hmm. um so i had them watch one video about a three to four minute video clip that elicited sadness then i had another video clip that elicited anger and another video clip that elicited nothing basically it was sort of like it was a a lady riding a bike okay so what were the what was the anger and sadness clips what could you tell us what they were oh yeah. yeah um so the sadness clip which actually worked very well um, anecdotally, I made tons of mothers cry. <laughs> during, oh, God. Very awful <laughs> research experience. Um, so they watched the last few minutes of the notebook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Um, no, actually, they watched... Uh, I'm not sure anyone would actually know this clip listening to this podcast, but it was a clip from a, a movie from the 70s called The Champ. And it was a scene where... Um, uh, this boxer was kind of was basically had fought his last fight and was dying, mm. and um, 
there was a child that he was very close to who was there and the child was obviously very hurt and reacting badly to this boxer dying and it was all very sad right so that was the sadness <laughs> clip and the anger um the anger clip was actually a clip from the movie crash okay um, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it involved it was a clip of um basically a police officer pulling over a couple um and there it was racially driven yeah basically. racial profiling exactly scene, yeah i do know this exactly scene, yeah. it was watching this you're like this is un this is very obviously unfair yeah it, um unjust yes, right so i can see and it's it's funny but oh. those those clips can really uh drive emotion right mm -hmm. i just want to say this was all cleared by ethics Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And you know why? Can I tell you why it was Absolutely. Please do. Because when we think about emotions, these are transient states. So they actually, they're, they're kind of like these online phenomena that occur that actually don't last very long. Mm -hmm. So in previous research, these clips have been shown to elicit the emotions that we want to target, but not for much beyond you know, five minutes or so. Right. So by the time moms left the lab, they were feeling pretty okay. I checked in with them um, and it was okay. good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what were the actual findings of that study then? Yeah, so what I found was that um, when mothers were feeling angry, they were more likely to view those fringe, ambiguous examples of misbehavior as real misbehavior. So Kyle accidentally dropping the water. If I'm feeling apple angry, juice. apple juice, Kyle accidentally <laughs> dropping the apple juice. If I'm feeling angry, I am more likely to say that is Kyle behaving badly mm. uh, than if I'm feeling neutral. And interestingly, I we didn't i didn't observe the same thing for sadness so when moms are were feeling sad they were no more likely to view that behavior as a misbehavior so there is something about anger but i've also worked clinically with um, lots of families and what i started to see when i was working with parents is lots of parents are faced with the same kind of challenging behaviors in their kids so your kid misbehaves at home is a little bit defiant what have you some parents i noticed are better able to stay calm in these charged situations whereas other parents are more likely to talk about being so triggered that they just completely react overreact to whatever's going on and so that really made me think okay what is happening here? So think about this. Think about if you came home, how many times have you sort of done something that you later regretted because you were upset? Mm -hmm. I think of like an example, especially in relationships. I think parenting is basically, it's a relationship in itself, right? The, the parent and the child, they mm -hmm. have a relationship. Mm -hmm. I think because I'm not a parent, <laughs> I think in romantic <laughs> relationships, you come home, you've had a long day, you're pissed, your girlfriend doesn't do the dishes, or your boyfriend doesn't do the dishes. Or Kyle <laughs> drops the apple juice. <laughs> Kyle's dropped the apple juice again. That asshole. I can't believe it. <laughs> On purpose, probably, too. That's me For attributing sure. his yeah. behaviors. But 
yeah, I mean, there's a million times that I can think of in my head where your your emotions really do dictate what you do in the moment, right? So I'm really upset. I'm not, I'm in a heated argument with someone, and I say something very per, like a very personal attack on them that's really has no implications on what we're talking about, mm-hmm. and that's heat of the moment kind of situations where I regret exactly. That. Yeah, I'm and and so your point being. That can happen in a parent-child relationship mm-hmm. constantly, I imagine, as children. <laughs> you are with your children, yeah. you know, with, irrespective of the time that they are at school and you're at work, if you're a working parent, mm-hmm. like, you are with them all of the time. Yeah. So there are plenty of heated, high-charged, what did you call it, in the moment, uh, heat of the heat moment, of the moment yeah. Yeah. scenarios. And... Some people are better able to keep their emotions in check mm-hmm. in those heat of the moment scenarios. Yeah. And other people are just not as not as good at doing that. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. But my what I'm trying to do is figure out like what influences someone's ability to regulate themselves in those heat of the moment scenarios. Well right. one of one of the things uh and you just sort of mentioned it was, you know, irrespective of the time that you're, you know, the parents at work and the child at school, they spend most of their time together. That also means that they're sharing in all of the experiences, especially for the parent, that mm-hmm. the child has had throughout their day. And so for a parent to come home and hear that the kid has gotten in an argument with their best friend at school or something, yeah. suddenly they're also not only taking on their work day, you know, their nine or eight hour eight, nine, ten, whatever hour workday, but they're then also taking on everything that's happened to their child throughout the day. And I can imagine Mm -hmm. um, that there's a lot of emotionally charged situations there, Mm -hmm. especially when you consider the stuff that might be going on after school, whether it be, you know, sports or or schooling. You know, education doesn't stop at three o'clock when the bell goes. It it continues on, right? So there's a lot of additional opportunities for these emotionally charged situations to permeate into one's life right i think uh as a curious child you often want to test the boundaries of your parents patience (laughs) and so speak for yourself that sounds pretty intentional (laughs) wow and i mean if my parent were to attribute that as intentional they would have been 100 percent correct mom's listening. but i mean <laughs> oh that's a really good point so sometimes parent attributions are accurate oh absolutely and, yeah. and it's not like saying your child is deliberately doing this on per like it's it's deliberate in their intent sometimes i mean sometimes, right. sometimes it is 100 yeah. sometimes your kid is just trying to be a shit to elicit some emotion mm-hmm. in in the parent and mm-hmm. and that it might be the case mm-hmm. and so having to kind of Decide when it's deliberate and when it isn't deliberate. It's not so great. It's not so uh, black and white, right? Yeah. It, it's there's a lot of gray area within this work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so one parent, so say mother A and say the mother B, uh, they both come back from a stressful day and they're they have the same emotion. They're both angry. So the way that you would elicit it, frustrated, it, yeah, frustrated, sad, whatever, whatever the emotion they have, they're they're sharing the same emotion, and and one parent, mother A, might react. Uh, more proactively uh, or more adapt be more adaptive and then the other might uh, act in a more reactive or or div- Here, here's <laughs> yeah. the way you can think of it one mother is reactive mm-hmm. so one mother 
a child is misbehaving. Here's the example. One mother reacts negatively. Another mother responds, okay. is able to pause, think about what's going on, select intentionally a more helpful response. Okay. Yeah. And so, so how are you going about doing that work now? Like you said, that's, that's the work that you're working on now. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, are you, how are you going about doing that? Yeah. So I am thinking about, here's a very fancy term, something called executive functioning. So this is a very broad term to encompass a bunch of different, basically, abilities that people have that you can think about really as things that facilitate self-control. So things that make it easier to correct maybe an initial unhelpful response. So if I am the mother who is reactive, but I have really good executive functioning, then I can stop that reactivity in its tracks Mm. and select a more helpful response. So rather than yelling at my kid, maybe I'll pause, think, okay, maybe he just didn't hear me. And respond in a calmer tone of voice so rather than yelling at them to come to the table maybe i'll walk to the living room ask them again to come right yeah so being able to kind of squelch that initial reactive response Mm -hmm. and being able to dictate whether or not uh or the executive function essentially think taking that time to think about what the actual situation is, not letting your emotions overtake your yeah. your thoughts. It's been described in the literature, and I found this very helpful when I read it, as a corrective tool. Okay. So we mm-hmm. all have these, we're all triggered by different things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the trigger leads to, boom, the response. Other times we have the trigger, but then we can self-correct the you know, emotional response and do something that's more um, adaptive. Yeah, It's this visceral reaction to just respond based on your emotions, right? And and having the executive functioning or what you're trying to measure is individuals that can kind of take that visceral emotion, everyone's going to want to react that way. Uh, But certain people can pause and say, I'm not going to respond this way just because it's my first reaction. Yeah. I'm going to think about it. Or, or or it's just easier for some people mm. to do that. Everyone, I really believe everyone is able to. Of course. Can, can, is able to do this. But some people have an easier time than others. Right. So, Sarah, what happens in a situation where we add upon the things that we've already discussed uh, in a situation like where a child behaves in part driven by something like attention deficit hyperactivity disorder? Yeah, great question. And uh, the simple answer is things get even more complicated, if you can imagine that. So attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is um, a disorder that's characterized by, on the one hand, difficulty sustaining attention, and on the other hand, um, difficulties with hyperactivity and impulsivity. Now, when you think about hyperactivity and impulsivity, often hyperactive impulsive behaviors can look like misbehavior. So if you think about a child, you know, talking to him or her and them interrupting you while you're saying something, 
maybe not because they wanted to interrupt you or take over the conversation, but because they're impulsive and they can't um, hold hold that back. So they end up interrupting you. That can look like, a to a parent, a misbehavior. So the way that the parent thinks about that behavior and the cause of that behavior becomes really, really important. Y- imagine a parent who thinks, okay, I know my child has ADHD. I know my child struggles with impulsivity. This is an example of impulsivity mm. versus a parent who is like, oh my God, there he goes again or she goes again. They interrupted me and this is very frustrating. So the way that um, parents think about these kinds of behaviors has a huge impact. Yeah. I mean, you talking, as, as you say, control, you talk about controllability. I'm thinking as a child, I felt like everything was in my control, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it probably was. <laughs> mm. yeah. I mean, I, th- I like to think I had control of everything, but I know now, reflectively, I had no control over most <laughs> things. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's beautiful that you have to be, as the adult or the guardian figure, you have to decide what's within your child's control and what's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with ADHD, it kind of intensifies that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like their their control over their their actions or their behavior might not necessarily be due to intent yeah. but it might be more based on impulse and like like exactly you said, impulse. it's just exactly and you know drake you you framed it as um you have to decide whether this behavior is controllable or not Actually, sometimes you're not even deciding something it's just a sometimes it's just an automatic. Yeah reaction like a habitual thing exactly you do it so much you've done it so much it's how you've thought about this thing forever we know kyle always spills things and so it achieves automaticity it just becomes automatic yeah absolutely it's absolutely i I feel like uh the, the the examples we've been using so far have really been just a typical child acts ask like annoying their parent essentially or, yeah. or not reacting to their parent the way that the parent would want them to, mm-hmm. uh, compound that with uh, having ADHD as a child mm-hmm. and, and really have not having that ability to kind of just like... Control. Control your attention, right? And, and, and really being just really excited and just wanting to do a bunch of things at the same time uh, can really impact the way that a parent attributes uh, or especially when they're emotionally charged, how they attribute their child's reactions to things, right? Yeah. Uh, it just adds another level of complex complexity whenever it comes to this. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what, what do you see as the researcher doing the work that you're doing? What implications or what kind of, what do you want to instill in people from the work that you're getting at? What mm-hmm. do you want to, to get at when it comes to the work that you're doing? Yeah. Well, the simplest way I can put it and the, the reason why I want to study parenting is there is basically decades of research to show that the way that parents behave has an impact on their kids and the way that their kids behave. And we know that early problems, problems early on in childhood, predict problems in adulthood. So if a kid is... um, 
anxious early on or is having sh- trouble in school with their peers early on. That, you know, uh, is a good predictor of, you know, them dropping out of school or them engaging in some other kind of unhelpful behaviors like getting into criminality and things like that. It's not a, I want to be clear, it's not a, it's not that everyone who experiences problems in childhood will have problems in adulthood, but a lot of the time we see these kind of associations. And so knowing that parents can have an impact on those aspects of child well-being makes it it, it's just logical to me that if you want to prevent problems in childhood or if you want to understand how problems in childhood develop then you would look to parents so with that let's go into our brain break on the other side we'll be back with sarah we'll talk a little bit about some myths misconceptions we'll talk about some water cooler facts we'll answer a few questions from the audience and uh, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> we'll see you. See ya. On the other side. Stacy's <laughs> mom has got it going on. Stacy's mom has got it going on. Stacy's mom has got it going on. Stacy's mom has got it going on. Stacy, can I come over after school? That was Stacy's Mom by Fountains of Wayne. <laughs> that was better than I could have ever anticipated. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for the lead. You are Sarah. most welcome. <laughs> Sarah, we want to get into one of the most common myths in parenting, which is that a parent's behavior can cause something in their child. Do you want to comment on that? Can you comment on that for us? Yes. Uh, I can and I will. Kyle. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, um, you know, as we talked about before, I am in the 
clinical psychology area. So I do research in psychology, but I also do a lot of um, clinical work with parents and families outside in the community. And a question that comes up a lot is whether parents can cause ADHD or cause autism or cause OCD, some some kind of mental health problem in their kids. Mm-hmm. And um, when I think about the causes of mental health problems, as a researcher, I kind of, my default is, well, actually, we don't really know what causes anything, or at least we know that there is no direct link between any one risk factor and the mental health outcome. So we know that there are lots of things that put you at risk for developing, you know, uh, OCD, anxiety, depression, but there are lots of things that protect you from developing that disorder. So it's all about, on an individual basis, what are the combination, really, of risk factors and protective factors that you have that kind of put you on this path towards whatever you're experiencing right now? Mm-hmm. What's the cocktail that you have to make to get, to get you to lead to whatever outcome, right? So it's exactly like a parenting style will not necessarily lead to someone having ADHD, a child having ADHD or autism. No, right? you're, I, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I would, I think that uh, experiences with caregivers that are extreme, mm-hmm. for example, uh, ex- uh, instances of extreme neglect right. or extreme physical abuse or extreme emotional um, criticism, constantly over many many years that kind of extreme right parenting if you want to call it that lack of parenting almost will will have a stronger effect absolutely absolutely Uh, i think as and and the point that you're making the more extreme the more extreme it is the more likely that there will be some sort of effect regardless Mm -hmm. of what the effect is Mm -hmm. it might not be what you're looking for but if, if it's extreme in any sense, it's always, if it's more polarized, the more likely there will be some sort of effect, yeah. negative or positive. Yeah. Uh, really, really great parents might lead to better outcomes. <laughs> really, yes. really poor parenting will lead to more likely negative outcomes. Yeah, right? and you can have great parents that do all the right things, but you go to school and you are the victim of bullying and then you're in a terrible accident and you have all of these other bad things happen to you independent of your experience of parenting that can put you on a trajectory to a potentially more negative outcome and it's it had nothing to do with your parents absolutely yeah that's what i mean by it's not the be all end all Mm. it has an impact but it's not it's another relationship in a plethora of relationships that you'll have in your life right like you are not just going to have a relationship with your parent. Mm-hmm. There's going to be other people that you're going to meet and have relationships with. And those relationships can shape you. Yeah. They, they will have an impact on how you react as an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really how we should see parenting. It's, it's, a, it's a really important, really, uh, really impactful relationship yes. that can have a lot of positive or negative or both. Yep. Uh, Uh, relationships with how you grow as an individual yeah that's a good point and it's something that uh we haven't really talked about yet but 
I like that you mentioned that it can have a positive impact. So as much as we know that, you know, hostile, harsh, critical parenting can influence um, child outcomes in a negative way, we also know that parenting that is warm and supportive and positive can have tremendously positive impacts on a child who would be otherwise at risk of developing, Mm -hmm. you know, some problems. But being in a warm, supportive environment can mitigate against that. It's a lot easier to measure generally negative outcomes than positive. Uh, it, It might be that it's easier to measure. It also might be that like, we just care more about why things go wrong. Right. Right. Yes. Like we just, we want to know like, why is, why is this horrible thing happen? Like, why is this person on this destructive path Mm. versus like, why is this person on this completely normal path? You know? Right. Yeah. So, so we're more attracted to those kinds of questions, but it's equally as important to stutter, to study normal trajectories in development. Yeah, yeah. I I think yeah. The the more it's a really good point. The the ability to say this is what's going on whenever things go wrong, and then having the contrary where mm-hmm. you say this is what's happening when something really good happens, and trying to fi- figure out a way to fix the the negative outcomes and and trying to redirect them towards the positive. It's really hard. That's I think that's what a lot of research is trying to do. Yeah. Saying this is what's going wrong. This is what this is how it really goes well, and then how do we blend those to kind of help the ones that are not getting the positive yeah how do we how do we bridge the gap between those who are having those negative outcomes and those with the positive outcomes absolutely how do we manage those two things yeah Yeah. so so dante cicchetti is a pretty seminal name in the field of developmental psychopathology and understanding how um mental health problems develop over childhood he talks a lot just conceptually about in order to understand what's going wrong, we need to understand how things normally unfold. Right. Like yeah. what goes on in the regular world to be able to say like, okay, something is not going as we expected here. What's going on? What is influencing this other thing? Yeah, yeah. what comparisons are we making? Exactly. Well, relative to what? Yeah, it, exactly. This is going poorly. Okay, well, poorly to what? What, well, what, are, we, what are we comparing to? Yeah, exactly. What's a happy... F- a healthy family right yeah. yeah i think i think something that's really important to note on that on that is that we don't actually understand necessarily what a perfect family is yeah. and we're not we're not i don't think you or anybody else in the field is trying to pretend that we understand what a healthy family is the idea simply being hey we understand what kind of works mm-hmm. and we're comparing what doesn't to what works yeah and and that's a really important distinction to make i think because it really gives rise to this idea of we don't we're not going to pretend we're not going to sit here and pretend to you that we have all the answers but what we will tell you is that we understand at least enough to tell you what can't work better yeah i think Uh, and i'm really really glad you brought that up because as you said that it sort of made me think about um how we think about kind of what's normative in parenting Uh, but a huge influencer of what's normative in parenting is culture so we know that parenting differs across cultures what's normative what is typical in one culture is different than what is typical in another culture so that also will have an influence about how we think about parenting so as i've been talking about it now i've i've sort of 
uh, been talking about more of a like westernized view Absolutely. of parenting, but Absolutely. you know, with with a complete understanding that this differs cross culturally and worldwide. Yeah, and I think that point does not hold true just to your work. It's mm. across all research, right? Oh, everything completely. that we do, social relationships, my work in co- my work in relationships, Kyle's work in cognitive work, and your work in parenting. These are all things that do not translate necessarily to every culture mm-hmm. the same way. Mm-hmm. Culture has a huge impact on everything that we do, and that's why there are areas of uh, psych- like cultural psychology mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. focus that's literally why that on this yeah. because um, of that. And there's there's actually been some really interesting work in the parenting literature to show that it's not so much the parenting that you're exposed to as a child, or uh, but it's important what the parenting you're exposed to in comparison to what the norm is for your culture. Right. So if you are experiencing something and you're and you're like, okay, this sounds different to what my friends are describing that they are experiencing then that can sort of have an have a bigger impact on you right yeah Yeah, absolutely i mean cultural norms is essentially that how you compare to other people that you're you're around right so uh if other people say like you said if they're like oh well my parent spanks me well and and you're like oh everyone else does everybody it's, it's just assumed that it's okay to be to be spanked and then and you're like well i i don't get spanked so what's going on why is there this difference that's 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 an example of cultural norms like if it's okay in your culture you you compare yourself to others around you Mm -hmm. and that's all that cultural norms really it's the way you understand the events that are happening in your life right it's your your attribution yeah again the brain the human brain simplifying things as possible as 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 easily as possible right like do other people around me do this Okay, they do. Okay, I probably should be doing this it. This is probably okay. Yeah, it's probably okay. Yeah, exactly. And that okay. and and that is basically due to just what's culturally acceptable and yeah. it's super arbitrary. <laughs> yeah. And it changes to based on where you are in the world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and not only does it change you know, depending on where you are in the world, but it it changes depending on who you're in contact with within mm-hmm. that culture, within the world. The subcultures, subcultures also play a huge yeah. role into it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh you know, I don't want to say, oh, let's let's not talk about this now. But I think that this is this is a topic that we can just absolutely dive into in a future episode. If you really are interested in this, let us know, and we'll make sure that we do it. Um, maybe over the summer or sometime very soon. So up to this point, we've talked about uh, there being no single cause necessarily to uh, childhood developmental issues, whether they be ADHD or autism or anything of that nature. So. Can you give us something that we can take to the water cooler? What is some fact that we can share with our friends that we'd be excited to talk about? I'm at the water cooler talking to Kyle, and I say, listen, I listened to this podcast last night. It's a good podcast. Here you go. Let me me take you a step back. You're at the water cooler. You you and Kyle Kyle are at the water cooler, and Kyle's like, man, um, I dropped my apple juice last night. (laughs) No, 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 no. Good one, good one. But no, Kyle's at the water cooler, all like, man, ADHD. This is such a new like uh, disorder that's been made up like now in the 21st century. Right. Oh, it's a, it's a, well, it's a current issue. That's it's a, cu- just it's a current issue. Yeah. People that people are just like, it's oh, a product all, of the internet. 
All of a no. sudden, all of a sudden, people have ADHD. What's going on? Right. You know, right. What, what do you what do you want to say to Kyle? Here's what you say to Kyle. You say. <laughs> I'm the villain in this episode. He is the villain. <laughs> always. Always the villain. I like it. I kind of like it. It's good. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Kyle. Sorry. This asshole at the water yeah. cooler. <laughs> <laughs> you say. Right, what you, am I telling him? <laughs> you say, actually, Kyle, if you would have paid attention to the Brain Buzz podcast. Yes. Yeah. Um, Hell yeah. Featuring Fuck Sarah. Him. Listen up. Dog. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you would know that actually. Um, ADHD or the cluster of symptoms that we now call ADHD was described, has been described for hundreds of years. So when we look at early um, medical writings, basically, medical notes, documentation as, yeah. documentation as early as the 1600s, 1700s, and also, interestingly, some literary works from um, Europe in, in that era mm -hmm. you see things that are described that sound like adhd and so it is not a new disorder and and so that's that's the first myth that i want to debunk mm -hmm. and the second myth that i want to debunk is um something that you hear very commonly which is that adhd is just kids being kids Right. It's just yeah. Yeah. kids being rambunctious. And All kids are excited. Yeah, you know, All like they're excitable. Just just let kids be kids and we shouldn't be labeling these things as ADHD. Right. Totally valid. I understand that. But the way we diagnose ADHD, it's actually not kids being kids. Mm -hmm. So when we are looking for behaviors that are in uh, symptoms of inattention and hyperactivity and impulsivity, in kids, we're looking at we're looking for those symptoms that are developmentally inappropriate, and what that means is that, you know, think about all kids at all two year old kids. I expect them to be impulsive. I don't expect them to be able to control themselves or <laughs> terrible to, human to, beings. Terrible to too. monitor <laughs> what they are saying. You know, they're gonna be acting in ways that you know are out of control and saying yeah. things that are you know you're comparing against the average you are comparing yeah. okay this is a 10 year old compared to the average 10 year old mm. this per this child cannot sit still through a one hour class mm -hmm. they have to get up they are um, they cannot sit and read for 15 minutes because they just cannot maintain their focus for that long right. and at age 10, not being able to maintain your focus for more than five minutes is a little bit developmentally inappropriate. Like yeah. you should have achieved that by that stage in your life. So those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. It's it's not just kids being kids. It's like, okay, no, they are not matching the developmental level that they should be achieving. Oh, the work that's being done is accounting for the fact that kids are being kids. It's It's saying that on average, yeah, yeah, kids, we know kids are rambunctious. They like to go and be like they like to get out there and be ecstatic or or be like mm -hmm. hyperactive, energetic, energetic. Yeah, correct. yeah. And, and in addition to exhibiting those developmentally inappropriate symptoms, your symptoms actually have to cause you impairment. Right. Yeah. So you have to be distressed. Not only do you ha are you displaying these kinds of behaviors, but 
those behaviors are getting in the way yes. of you being able to achieve your you know full potential if that's how you want to call it like they are getting in the way of you maintaining friendships they are getting in the way of you being successful in school and like these are the things that we care about yeah you know if if you're super hyperactive and super impulsive but like you're able to function normally in school and in your relationships like all good yeah you're fine like Absolutely. you're maintaining it you yeah. know there, there's no reason for us to intervene like you can successfully navigate your world yeah but it's when these symptoms are getting in the way of you uh functioning the way you are supposed to be, or the, the way you're supposed to be functioning the way you're expected to be functioning then that's where we start to care yeah so uh, sorry one question that we we'll do it here because it fits perfectly one question that we had from uh, audience participation through Ooh, social media okay. uh, was a question, does parenting style contribute to kids engaging in bullying behavior? Now, oh. I know that's not necessarily your area of expertise, but I think it dovetails quite beautifully with what you've been saying up to this point. So if you could just perhaps comment on that up to up to now and, and let us know what your thoughts are. Okay, so you, you are asking about does parenting influence this one specific aspect of behavior in kids so their their bullying behavior so uh bullying i'm assuming we mean um teasing taunting other children let's say in 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 school uh so as you said i am not a bullying research and i just want to preface this by saying i do not do research in this area but Drawing from what I do know about the influences of um, parenting and specifically uh, parenting, a parenting style that is kind of high in demandingness and low in warmth. So you have a lot of demandingness and criticism from your parents, but you and that is coupled with low levels of uh, warmth and closeness. Mm-hmm. Um that kind of parenting style, if you want to call it that, has been linked with uh, aggressive uh, behaviors in children. And I want to emphasize that linked does not mean cause. Right. right? Of course. Of course. Right. Yes. We're not talking about we, we can never we cannot say that parenting causes this type of behavior. But definitely we are seeing that in parents who are who have this type of parenting style they are more likely to have children who are aggressive and so that makes me think okay maybe these children are also more likely to be bullied but also the little that i do know my limited knowledge of research in bullying is that bullies often also tend to be victims of victimization. So right now what's going on uh, in the literature is people are are realizing more and more that bullies are not just bullies or aggressors, but they are also often the ones who are teased and rejected by their peers. So uh, there's this kind of phenomenon of bullying victimization that's going on that is just a whole other can of worms that... Maybe you want to address in a future podcast. I don't know. <laughs> so it, the parents' behavior can really, or their attributions of their children can influence their child's behavior. I see that as just relationships in general, right? So a child's relationship with their parent is almost like, it's not forced, but it's 
most children have a relationship with their guardian that is going to be the largest relation or the, the most pertinent relationship in their life up until, I don't know, teenage years, right? When they start formulating different, uh, different relationships with other individuals. So I see that as just any relationship that really has some sort of value or meaning in your life can really dictate your behavior. And I don't see that. I see that as an obvious connection. Mm -hmm. So the parents are the first relationship you'll have and probably the most prolonged relationship you'll have in your life. Yeah. Uh, But your first example of how relationships work. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's it's how I think about it's it. It's how the, the yeah, how you interact with other individuals can be dictated, not dictated, can be influenced yeah. by how you interact with your parent. You're like, "Okay, this is how it usually goes." Mm. And so now I'm going to I'm going to do the same thing when I go and meet uh, someone in kindergarten or I'm going to meet someone in grade mm-hmm. 1. Right? <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. going to now mm-hmm. associate this relationship that I've had with my parent that I've learned how to interact with my parent. Now I'm going to interact with the I'm going to use it as a way as information to tell what's going to happen in my next relationship or my next interaction. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so people that say that, Oh, the child did this because their parent, uh, they're reaching on that. Like whenever it comes to those kind of conclusions, we're absolutely reaching because correlation, not causation. correlation, not causation. <laughs> I think that should be a part in every episode. That we have. Associations, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> not causes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not causing it, but it could have a part in it. Yes. Uh, yeah. It could have some impact on yeah, it. Yeah, we, so, we know as researchers that there is some relationship there, but we don't know the directionality of it. Of we don't know what came first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The chicken or the egg? No one knows. Precisely. And so, I mean, we're wrapping up now, but mm-hmm. is there any like, is there anything that you want to instill in young scientists or people that are really interested in research or just knowledge translation? Is there anything that you'd like to say to them uh, before we sign off? So this is just a general message to people who are curious. Pursue your curiosity. Like science and the scientific method gives us such a nice systematic, like very clear, logical way of addressing the questions that we have about the world. And so none of your ideas are uh, dumb or not worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Like just pursue them there are ways to pursue them we are so lucky to have this system and go for it absolutely i I think that's that's a really good point too sarah it's adri talked about uh, on on one of our previous episodes adri talked about how he thought that like oh this must have been thought like someone already thought about this someone's already solved this this problem not necessarily of course not yeah I no. mean, it's it's so common for us as humans just to be like <laughs> oh someone's already probably thought about this every Why day do it every so this day. is this is another interesting point is like we often think like okay this these things are just common sense like it's obvious that we would observe this yeah. relationship between these two things that we think about but not always. No. Sometimes you're like, yeah, I'm going to go out and I have this hypothesis that it's going to work out this way, but no. Yeah. So that is the most interesting thing about science. Yeah. I, yeah. I, love, the, I love the sentiment that just pursue your curiosity, be willing to adapt to whatever you find and whatever hypotheses you may not, uh, that may not be true how do you adapt and how do you think about these things differently and, and change the way that you think of things uh, 
It's phenomenal. It's a really good. It's a really Sign good. Sign of a great scientist. Yeah. Yeah. Science How do you is, adapt? It's an evolving field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It. A lot of people think about science like, oh, well, science has shown this. Yeah, science has shown this right now. Yeah. But science is an evolving field, and we are continuously integrating new information from all of the brilliant research that's being done, and we are evolving. I think that's, I mean, yes, absolutely. I think what's unbelievable about that is that the science that we thought was true 40, 50 years ago is not the science that we thought was true 60, 70 years ago. And so, and and that's that's joyous. You know, Mm -hmm. I think... I think that people should not be disappointed in that. People should be elated. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's sign of development. That's sign of us progressing as a species. And you know, the world's not flat. Yeah. <laughs> no, we thought it was. It no. was guaranteed. It exactly. was confirmed. The world was flat. Yeah, and now we we figured out that. Yeah, hey, eh, maybe not. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Sarah, on that point, um, let's wrap her up. It's All been right. a beauty episode. We're we're. Drake and I are absolutely thrilled. Thank you for coming on our show. This has been so much fun. <laughs> no, honestly, it's been entirely our pleasure. Yeah. You've been fantastic. Um, with that, that's been Brain Buzz. Thank you for listening. And uh, until next time, cheers. If you enjoyed the episode, we hope that you will share it with your friends and colleagues. Find previous episodes at brainbuzzpodcast.com on iTunes and Google Play. And be sure to rate and review the show wherever you find great podcasts. Troll. I just want to point out I got half a beer here. Just so later. No, no, no. So later when I want another beer, you're not like, bud. Take that one? No, no, no. Take no. it. No, it's half a beer. Did you guys uh, taste La Fain's Mold? Yes. I've had it before. It's so it. good. You would not know it's a 9% beer. Well, that's phenomenal. Right? Yeah. That's, that's, really that's down it's the hatch. Like the, so... the this, is, the this is the best one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why you wanted that one. That's why I asked for this one. I thought you guys were going to get the big... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were. We were. We were. Sorry we you it. got stuck with the other one. No, oh, no. It's nice <laughs> to try them. They're actually pretty good. It's nice uh, to try them. I, I really like them. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll, play. we'll plug them at the end.